brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the FCB Radio Network. Real talk worldwide. Online at FCBRadio.com. from the 216 on the FCB Radio Network. Hello, hello, everybody. This is Ashley with Views from the 216. Um, Let's just get this thing started. Um, We are back. Um, We took a break uh, this past September, and we are now back, and we're going to roll right into it. Let me first give you guys... Our views number, that number is 216-236-4842, 216-236-4842. That views number is for you. You all are able to sound off. Let me know what you think about the show. Let me know what it is that you're thinking about in the world today in reference to politics and culture. Um, it is for you, for us to be able to listen Whatever you are recording there, you have the opportunity to be heard here on this show. You can also email us at views216fcb at gmail.com. Views216fcb at gmail.com. I do hope that everybody listening is well and safe. We are uh, still in this moment where we're struggling through 2020. Um, you know, some of us are faring just a little bit better than others, but I hope we all still realize we are still blessed. Um, so, all right, let's get into it. What I'm going to start with right now is list of, uh, is a list of several names. Richard Brooks, Daniel Prude, George Floyd. Brianna Taylor, Atiana Jefferson, Aura Rouser, Stephen Clark, 
Baltham, John. Philando Castile. Alton Sterling. Michelle Cusso. Freddie Gray. Janisha Fonville. Eric Gardner. Akai Gurley. Gabriela Navarez. Tamir Rice. Michael Brown. Tanisha Anderson. If you all listen carefully, you would recognize some of those names. Those names are just a few of the names that have been listed as uh, citizens of the United States who have been killed at the hand of the police over the last several years. There, This list comes from aljazeera.com where they have an interactive list that gives the name, the ages, and the area of each of these individuals that were killed at the hands of the police. It also gives <clears throat> an account of the outcome of each of these cases. It describes where they were at the time of their encounter with the police and it also gives a brief description on the results of the entire case. There all are varying results, but most of these, if not all of them, are not are not results that we would think would um, be the results of a murder trial. Um, the last several. Uh, shows that have been published have been published with the heightened cases and information um, that we've been dealing with in 2020. So I hope at this point you all really know what it is that I feel about um, this, the situation. And the fact is, is the, the, the issue is that we have consequences for crimes here in the United States. And these consequences should be applied equitably across uh, the board. <clears throat> so people are people. And we should all have to... Uh, be able, we should all be able to expect justice from our justice system as free, so-called free people in the United States of America. Um, we should be able to <clears throat> know that if we are in some way, shape, or form um, wronged, our lives are taken, that justice will pre real prevail, that the people who are accused of our um, of taking our lives or the affront to our life will have to stand trial 
and will have to face, again, consequences for their actions. So today, um, we are going to uh, leave that there. There are many other lists with many other names on them as well that have been published that's, that are listed that you can find on various social media sites, etc. cetera. Um, again, some of these cases have varying um, details about the situation and how they came about the situation. Um, <clears throat> and I guess, you know, just to acknowledge the feeling, the feeling is that, you know, police officers are put in harm's way and they should have the right to defend themselves. Um, however, the fact of the matter is, is that they should have varying levels of defense. It is understood or or thought in this country, the mythos that is sent to communities across the country is that the police are here to serve and protect so to serve and protect means that they have skills and abilities to de-escalate a situation without it becoming violent, without people risking their lives. So we expect that those skills and abilities are used. And when lethal force is the only skill and ability that is used and presented, then there is a problem. And definitely there is a problem when it seems as that lethal force is only used in situations of, or mainly used uh, in situations where police are confronted by black and brown people. There are many people, especially in these last several months, that um, would be considered white allies that have come and spoken out and talked about their personal experiences with police. And the fact of the matter that they have had violent altercations and situations and and they can um, empathize uh, in a way that says, you know, I was doing drugs, I was doing this, and I faced the police, but what the police did was help me home. What the police did was completely opposite of what we're seeing in the national media that are done against these black and brown people who are citizens in this country, um, who are often found in distress um, and need of help, but instead their lives are taken. Um, so that is still very, very prevalent at this time. It is still a huge issue. Um, that is an issue that should be um, front and center, and we should be considering as we go into this election cycle. And um, we need to begin to hold people accountable for their actions. And we need to also move to change the laws, change the circumstances that allow for any person, especially those in authority, to abuse their power and continue to terrorize communities that they should be serving. Um, so in that election cycle, we also need to move our legislators and our judges um, and our uh, governors 
um, presidential candidates, et cetera, into positions where we are moving and transforming the system as we know it into a place where people are treated fair and equitably and that all men truly are created equal. And that does include um, men and women of um, African descent um, and those of Hispanic descent as well. So uh, we will leave that there. And um, again, I, I will also make a point to just acknowledge that as long as we need to acknowledge that and have that be part of our discussion. Um, so that's some place that's definitely a place that you can air it out and let me know what you think. Um, but I do imagine that that will be something that will be part of our discussion for a while. So now moving on from there. Um, we have just witnessed a debate. So I was going to try to get this out a couple days ago. Um, but then I decided that I would go ahead and watch the debate and give some of my thoughts on the debate. So I will wait and just the whole, basically take the whole entire month of September off and, um, do this today. Well, what do we say about the debates? <laughs> the debates was for all intents and purposes a complete and entire shit show as been has been noted by many many people. Um it was absolutely and totally painful to watch. Um I mean, I literally initially um had planned to watch it at home um with a friend of mine but I didn't have we ran out to get something to eat and it took so long we ended up watching and they aired it there so we ended up watching it there um it was a thing that had your stomach literally churning um I don't think I've ever watched any anything, let alone anything that represented our government that was like that before. And, you know, we're not even talking about whether or not anybody lied. We're not even talking about at this point anybody's policy positions. We are just talking about the pure behavior that was on display. Um and, you know, this is behavior that as a parent, a former educator, as just, again, a, a, a citizen of the United States, you know, who's taught, who has been taught about diplomacy and, and our ability to work together in unity and, and the ability to have conversations and, and et cetera, to be able to, to solve problems, um, Oh, it was just totally, like talking about it now just brings back those feelings that it was just totally disgusting, totally and absolutely disgusting and very quickly became like that. Um, so not even just a, there wasn't like a moment of escalation, a build up towards something that, you know, it was like, oh, okay, well now the, the ball is finally, 
dropped. Um, it was just like from the start, it was amazingly crazy. Um, and so there's just no other way to sum that up in terms of its behavior. Um, the behavior that was shown. And I will outright say that it was Donald Trump that did it. Um, and, you know, to the point, too, that I would say that I felt, felt I, I guess, bad for Joe Biden. And again, this is not, you know, in terms of saying, like, who I would vote for or anything else like that. But just, again, just trying to be um, a casual observer at this point. I mean, we do know that I do not like Donald Trump. And the reason, and he just showed the reason why I don't like him. Um, this is not, he's not a guy that's trying to just move the needle based on his conscience. He is literally just trying to tear people apart and he functions in chaos. Um, and I think we've seen that for the last four years and he has made, he made that clear that that's going to continue and, and get worse. And he, I think even from the response from the debate, um, especially from those people who support him in his this point of his character. So there are people that have tried to at least support him and say his policy positions are what they support. However, they might condemn his con uh, or not agree with his delivery and so forth and so on. They're trying to say, you know, he, they would try to say that, you know, what his intentions are are different from the way that he communicates them. And on some level, um, you know, there are people like that, that have good intentions, but bad delivery. But at this point during this debate, he intentionally went to needle needle Joe Biden and try to get him to come to his level, try to get him um, so shaken up that he just couldn't answer. And I mean, literally, he didn't allow him to answer anything to come back and be able to really have sound argument about different policy positions. Um, I, I really feel like there was not a whole lot of points where a cohesive statement Joe Biden was able to get out. And it's one of those things that you do look like you don't blame Biden. And unfortunately, you know, there was one moment where Trump really did say something about uh, Biden's intelligence. And this is not about Biden's intelligence. It was about somebody railroading you. It was about the fact that, you know, somebody you're talking to somebody who just outright won't listen and has no intention to listen. And they are wanting to make sure that you are not heard. So what do you tend to do? A lot of times you tend to stop. And we're ever in an argument and, you know, somebody is just going after you and talking over you and whatever. There are plenty of us who just stop. Most of the time when you deal with people like that, you are advised to stop or you look as much of the fool. Right. Um, I think there's a same. 
saying that when you argue with a fool, it's hard to for something to the effect that it's hard for others to determine which one is which one is what what. So, um, you know, it this is just totally, 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 totally um ridiculous in terms of just the behavior displayed. And then it's also clear as well as far as Trump's um, intention and what he he felt and what he was doing, um, even just based on his interaction with Chris Wallace, the moderator. Um, so not only was there back and forth and he wanted, you know, to jump in and make a point when when Biden tried to say something, um, he was not willing to allow Chris Wallace to do his job. He was not willing to allow um, to stay within the parameters that were outlined and agreed upon on this debate. And anytime that Chris, you know, wanted to remind him of such or the, you know, even just getting a question out, he would jump. Like he wouldn't listen to the question that Chris would be asking. Um, and I'd like to point out that Chris is a Fox News contributor. Um, so Fox in general, and I'm not necessarily speaking for Chris himself, but Fox in general has been kind and friendly to the Trump administration and to Trump himself. And they have a lot of supporters on that um, on the the station that make excuses and 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 are in agreement often about how he handles himself. Um, so, uh, you know, I'd have to just say that it this was it was a complete embarrassment, and I couldn't imagine. Like, I commend both Chris Wallace and Joe Biden for staying on stage and not just deciding that you know this isn't this is this is pointless this is not worth it and it's not worth my time and I'm just not going to deal with this um so I so that's that's definitely <laughs> my reactions to the debate um all right, so we need to get into some of the details, or at least one major detail of the debate, and that is um, who the Proud Boys are. So definitely, shamefully, the president was asked to disavow um, white supremacy, <clears throat> and uh, it was claimed that he has never done that before, very clearly, and he was given the opportunity or asked to do it right then, right there, if that is what he believes and he feels if he is not a supporter of white supremacists. Um, so awkwardly enough, he then decides to say, well, who are you talking about? Um, what are you talking about exactly? And presses uh, Chris Wallace to give... Um, him specifics. Chris Wallace begins to give some specifics. He kind of continues talking. And I guess 
that Joe Biden is the one who mentioned from reports that I've seen, the Proud Boys. Now, me watching it directly, I, I missed that part. Um, I was it, So this was a chaotic moment and there was a lot of fumbling and I definitely noticed Trump's like reticence in, 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 in making just a very clear statement and a statement that should have been pretty easy that you shouldn't have had to ask for um, who are you talking about or whatever, you know, white supremacy in itself is a con- concept. Um, so it could very well just be said that I denounce and do not support white supremacy as a whole, period, in any organization that bases their philosophies and thought processes based on white supremacy, period. Had, had, there's no need, no reason to have any specifics more than that. Um, again, you know, and if you did that, there might have been more questions or whatever. That's fine. So at that point, maybe answering more specific questions. But in that moment, just to say, do you support white supremacists? Um, that's all he had to, he, he pretty much all he had to say. So anyway, so in that mumbling, it was Proud Boys came up. And I know initially sitting in this bar, in this restaurant, watching this, I didn't, it, I, nothing. I, I didn't wasn't even positive that he said Proud Boys. Um, so I kind of was like, well, who is this? So if I had the question, I'm assuming some people, other people had the question. So who are the Proud Boys? Um, so a quick search, um, the Southern po- po- Policy Law Center says that They were, the Proud Boys are established in the midst of the 2016 presidential election. So while uh, President, President, well, I can never get when the the president and his name just don't roll together. Um, (laughs) uh, Trump, when Trump was being elected um, and it was. Established by the co-founder of Vice Media, Gavin McInnes. The Proud Boys are self-described Western chauvinists who adamantly deny any connection to the racist alt-right, insisting they are simply a fraternal group spreading an anti-political correctness and an anti-white guild agenda. Um, so that is their description. Um it has been reported in places that, uh, for example, D.L. Hughley repo- reposted today a clip that um, there were, I believe, an interview by Joe Rogan, um, who was interviewing Gavin McInnes, and there was many calls for violence um, in this interview, uh, that he supported violence, he supported just fighting um, to get his, his, I guess, whatever point across. Um, it's it, One of the quotes was, fighting solves everything. Choke a bitch. Um, and he described the group himself as a gang. So not as a fraternal group, but as a gang. So there's a difference. Um, the Southern Policy Law Center says their disavows of bigotry are belied by their actions, 
rank and file proud boys and leaders regularly regularly spout white nationalist memes and maintain affiliations with known extremists. They are known for anti-Muslim and misogynistic rhetoric. Proud Boys have appeared alongside other hate groups and extremist gatherings like the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. Indeed, former Proud Boy members Jason Kessler helped the org- to organize the event, which brought together Klansmen, anti-Semites, Southern racists, and militias. Kessler was also expelled from the group after the violence and near-universal condemnation of the Charlottesville rally goers. So, again, let's put that into perspective. Charlottesville is where... People were injured and a young woman killed um, because one of the extremists who uh, were against um, Black Lives Matter and the right to um, for black people to have their life and liberty ran their car through the protesting crowd. And these are the people that um, were said to have by the president to have a very fine people on both sides. So by na- so again, this is that direct co- correlation to where there was that very fine people on both sides was really disappointing and hurtful to people. Um, that there were you know that anybody at any anybody, um would in any way say that neo-Nazis, Klansmen, or anything to that nature were very fine people. We have had years at this point, decades at this point, and I do say decades, so at least a one single person's lifetime to where we have come together, seemingly come together in this country to say that these groups do not represent anything good and positive about the United States of America, and we do condemn them. And so that has kind of been universal on both sides of the aisle. And even if it's not something that is heartfelt, it is something that in public policy and public spaces is very much condemned. Um, And I will tell you that too, just taking a pause to parenthetically insert there that I personally am not a person that believes that everybody is going to change their hearts, that racism in the core of a person is going to change. It is generational. It is in, as they say, DNA, which means that, you know, these are these are thought processes and and ideas that are taught and entrenched in people. And they're really hard to get out. I mean, if you really think about our process in life and as we grow and get older and and we try to decide who we want to be and who we want to associate with and come together as people, even in our individual personal lives, and we think about the fact that, you know, there are beliefs that we have that are are sometimes so deeply entrenched that we don't even realize what they are and how harmful they are. Um, So that is the idea of racism. That is the idea of the position of women in the home and just all this other stuff. Like I just recently had a conversation with a man about what he felt like a nurturing woman looked like. And I was just like, oh my God, in one century am I looking um, 
am I living in? And in that point, to be honest, it was just a situation to say that this person is not a person that I am willing to deal with in my space and my time on a particular level. Um, so I say that to say that I am not necessarily a believer that Racism is something that we are working towards against changing people's mind. People have to take that. That is their own personal job. They're, they have to see and they have to understand. They have to have these, these stop gaps in place that require them to think about their behavior and their thought processes and allow them to choose what they want to do with that. And so where we are, I believe, in this fight is just making sure that law and legislation, there are those stop gaps in place that say that these things do not happen in our in our country if you don't personally choose to associate with people of another race then hey that is your choice however in the functioning of this country as you go to and fro to your jobs as you go to and fro to the stores and into sports and, and and recreational time and things like that you have to understand that there are certain things that you cannot do and your how your home and your own ideology do not dictate what it is that we do in this country because we have we have learned from our behavior we have learned that there are um there are, we were wrong and we are correcting these things but you know so i definitely in in i'm just not I'm just not necessarily a person that's saying that I'm trying to change your mind, but I am going to fight for my rights. So, and, and I think that's, that's a very different place in a very different situation. Um, so, uh, I say that too, to say that, you know, the reality of thinking racism has gone away in this country you know, I don't think that there's really a place that I felt like that's that was the case. And I would imagine and I would think, especially if there are the black people who have been exposed and are in very much in many situations, excuse me, where they have to interact with people, um, particularly of the white majority, that we understand that racism is still alive and well. And we do understand that racism is institutional. Um and I, and we just don't we we're not we're not so much surprised at that but where where the issue is is that we realize and we recognize that there are still laws and there are still um things that support these ideas and so we're looking to dismantle the the things that support those ideas and then at that point after that it is up to you to do personal reflection and figure out what you want to say when you meet Jesus. Um, so that is where we are right now, I think, or should be focused on right now is not these individual people, but just saying, just making sure that we're in the place where we're saying that this country, this, these, this ideology, um, it's not something that is supported as a whole. Um, so anyway, that, however, is not happening under the Trump administration. And so this being reminiscent of Charlottesville when he said there were very good people. So now he said, stand back and stand by to the Proud Boys. Um, you know, if you say stand back and stand by, you know, 
what are what are you doing now now we're linking this to their thought process on fighting and creating chaos um and this is what Gavin McGinnis has has said you know he supports fighting he supports chaos so we're you know it's been noted that there are people that were have been in these demonstrations to create chaos well this is Sounds like a group of people that specifically do this very thing, whether or not they want to outright come out and say that they are racist or not. But they're definitely not saying that civil civil discord is what they're about. Um, So. Anyhow, to stand back and stand by, well, you know, telling somebody to stand down does definitely mean that, you know, and you're aware that they're going into a situation for a fight. Um, standby is also a term that indicates that we are waiting, but yet we're still waiting for that fight. So to stand back and stand by, um, you know, to have an American president to be able to be on any platform and say that publicly and feel like it's okay, I think we really, really, really need to do some um, some mobilization. So I wanted, I will say, I wanted to say soul searching, but I don't, I don't think it's soul searching. It's mobilization. I think we got, we have to understand the power of our vote. And, you know, this is, I, I, for the most part, for me, this is the biggest thing, um, in this, in this, you know, I don't know how much you can how much you can really dig into policy when you know that you have a president that um, is an embarrassment. You have a president that's encouraging violence. I mean, I can't see how you get out of that 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 statement on this platform. Anything else but that. Especially given that these are the these are the people that he chose to address. Stand back and stand by. Stand back and stand by. There were no stronger words that he could have used. There were no, you know, clear thought, clear. Sentences that he could have constructed to say that what they were doing was wrong and disruptive and not the way that we should be handling our our feelings and our thoughts about anything in this country. Making any kind of statements using violence, um, you know, it really, really, really is um, maddening. And it should madden us enough to be in a position where we go take that out in the polls and that we all are at a point that says that at minimum, at minimum, we will not make it clear. Like we will not have anybody stand in our public spaces, in our offices, in our white, in our White House to say that this behavior is okay. That this behavior is okay. There is a difference between that and then and instituting some policy where um, there is inadvertent consequences um, that 
come from them. So as far as policy is concerned, uh, the way that I was taught was there are always winners and losers in any policy decision. And the goal is to, the goal is to try to get the most winners. So meaning that somebody is going to lose something. They're going to lose some money. They're going to lose some level of, um, I don't want to say level of freedom, but they're going to, they're going to lose some abilities that they may, may have had before. Like they're going to, their policy is an exchange. Somebody has to give up something in order for somebody else to get something. That's what, that's what politics is. That's what policy crafting is, um, and policy making. So you want to, however, do the best for the majority. So when we say the greater public interest for the majority of the people, we are trying to get the best outcomes for as many pe- people as possible with as little harm to the, the least segment. And that is in any, whether we're talking about um, criminal justice system, or we're talking about tax laws, or we're talking about anything. That's that's where we're trying, that's, that should be what we're thinking about as we go through these policy decisions, as our lawmakers are crafting these policy decisions. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, there is also the law of unintended consequences and that everything is not always seen and not always understood. And even when we have conversations now about what we think is going to happen and what we think, for example, the legacy of the Trump administration or the legacy of the Obama administration and what was happening and what what they did. And a lot of times, if you hear analysts, they'll say, well, it's still to be seen. Because right now, what we know is what we're trying to get to. What we don't know, however, is what unintended consequences may arise uh, and whether or not the uh, cost outweighs the benefits. Um, so this is in no way, for example, to justify any one piece of legislation, but it just is a a, a conversation and a place for us to pause and think about certain things when we want to hold people accountable, which we should. And that's the reason why there are the, the political process is a consistent cycle. There's no end to it, right? There's no, we did this in 1980 and that's just what it is. That That's not what it is. That isn't. You know, this happened in 1980. We didn't understand what was going on. And even if it's even if some one person intentionally did understand what they were doing, if as the masses of um, the general public and the people who voted and and stood by these people, um, if you uh, all follow me on Instagram at Ashley's Views, I made I did a, a live in reference to Brianna Taylor and the outcome. And, um, you know, I talked about the fact that we do want to hold politicians um, accountable for decisions that are being made that have been made. But we also have to hold ourselves because a lot of the rhetoric and a lot of the conversation that's being had, um, you know, like things being like, Uh, being tough on crime and et cetera, that has been used to abuse the public. Um, 
we ran for. And we have to really think about what our own thought process is when it comes to that and how we feel about what happens in our neighborhoods and what should happen and how we police our neighborhoods or how we want our neighborhoods policed. Um, And that's also something that I would mention in just uh, giving a little tidbit in terms of what I feel like it's really good reading to kind of be able to sit and not only confront policy and legislation, but confront your own your own ideas about your your biases and your fears and et cetera in your community in the way that people should be treated in the way that you treat people. And so that's something that I feel like you can sit and reflect with reading the new Jim Crow, which I do believe has been out for about 10 years at this time. Um, but it's still has some really immense, immense information on some of the underlying issues that we have in policy, uh, underlying issues that we have in the Supreme Court. But it also it also forces you to think about yourself. It also forces you to think about how you feel about the people in your home, in your neighborhood, in your family that may have um, made wrong choices and what those consequences are. So anyway, that is something that deals directly just with um, uh, drug crime specifically. But we also have to be considerate of our own responsibility in any other piece of legislation and any other place where we were either complicit or information fell on deaf ears and we just allowed people to move in a direction that we that they thought they should um so those unintended consequences as well fall on us um and that is something and that is some one reason too why we need to make sure that we are in this political uh process that we are showing up to vote that we are showing up at the ballot box we are showing up at at our town hall meetings, we're showing up at our city council meetings, we're writing letters when we can, um, we're working the polls, we're doing whatever we can in terms of our civic duty to be aware and to be active in the in the decisions that are being made in our own communities. So um, our pacificity or our our choice to not employ because we maybe don't see a good candidate or we maybe don't feel like, you know, um, we are represented. That that also has its consequences. That also has its consequences. And if we're at very least not voting, then we for sure cannot hold anybody accountable once they're in power. Um, our vote is something that can be leveraged. Our vote is currency. So, you know, we do talk about the money in politics and it's real. Money in politics is very real. And I know right now I'm I'm trying to bring it all the way back. Um, I'm so off on a tangent, but money, money in politics is real. Um, And so, you know, our politicians and so forth and so on, when you donate to their campaigns, they do feel some obligation. They have an obligation to the people who support them monetarily. But the fact of the matter is, is they have an obligation in currency. And so a lot of us feel like we don't want to donate money and, uh, you know, whatever our, our, our angst against donations may be. But 
we shouldn't, a vote doesn't cost us anything, but maybe a little bit of time. And at this moment, we are really, um, you know, the most of us, I believe a lot of people are planning on voting by mail just because the environment we're in. And that's just a moment in your home. That's a moment in your home. It's a moment to walk to your closest post office or your closest post office box. That's a moment to drive down to your county board of elections and drop it off in their drop box. Um, and hopefully, for example, in, and I haven't seen any updates on this, um, Cuyahoga County is looking for additional ballot drop-off box to make to make those drop-offs easier. But anyway, that's a moment. That is a moment. Um, and... You know, even if this year, too, that you're a person that feels like you have to vote in in public, you can vote early. So the Board of Elections will still be open before voting day. And then and then additional. So it and so assumably on your vote early days, it won't take as much time as far as a line is concerned. Um, <clears throat> but. I will say on average, it only takes about, I I don't think that I've ever stood in line to vote and have been there for any more than 10, maybe 15 minutes. Um, And I'm definitely willing every uh, few months or every election cycle, depending on how active in a vote you are in, um, to be able to give 10, 15 minutes to cast a ballot. Um, so I know we are just in different times, so I can't speak to how long that it will be this year. And then I probably can't speak to different areas. I know that different areas like a Florida, for example, have reported, um, you know, immense turnout and long lines and so forth and so on for different reasons in the past several, several, uh, major elections. So there may be other issues in other areas that, you know, I can't speak to, but, Uh, You know, it truly still is a moment and there's options available to most voters here in the United States of America um, to be able to cast that vote at your convenience. So um, let's execute that currency um, because the fact of the matter is, is people running do want your vote. And so once you are voting, um, and once you do vote, you know, they're they're looking for you. They're counting on you. And you can even see that at this point. Um, I know the number of text messages and emails that I receive. And um, I have donated to local elections, but I'm not necessarily a person that has donated money. And when I say donate to local elections, too, let me say it's not a whole lot of money. I don't have a whole lot of money to donate. And it has also been more recently in my uh, adult life as I continue to grow myself into spaces and places here that I began to, began to donate. So I have a limited donation history, put it that way. Um, but the number of texts and requests for to assure that there is a vote, to assure that I'm registered, to, to ask for a donation, a possible donation, et cetera, that I have received has been completely almost ridiculous. I mean, I don't mind it in a sense, but the number of, of things, it just shows how much um, there is, how important there is that getting the word out 
to to vote and to show up and to do something in the civic realm is to people during the election time. And so once we're able to do that and we we know and people know that they're looking for our vote, they are held accountable. They know that they can't disappoint those people that have um supported them. And I mean, you know, even to it, we talk about so much for example in this um current administration and their base and their base being the people who've been locked out and blocked out and you know uh the rural poor and this and that and the third or whatever um and some of these ideologies that are bubbling out in 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 those environments um so this should be lesson learned it should be lesson learned and as far as this administration too. So if he if we we're saying that Trump continues to pander to his base and his base is typically um super right, possibly racist, you know, possibly whatever, you know, whatever that he spouts, undereducated, all these other things, then we should be able to see, like, if that's the case, if they stood up in 2016, then we do need to understand that if we stand up, if the rest of the population stands up and we at least vote for decency, that there is tremendous possibility. So anyway, um, at that point, I am off of my bandwagon. Um, let's see, I got a few minutes, so I'm going to quickly also talk about Trump's taxes and his $750 payment of taxes. Now, $750, I think is a really low number in my imagination, but it's not quite surprising in terms of what he's been saying and what little bit that I know about, um, tax law and tax policy and, the fact that there are ways to divert and get out of taxes. Um, so the reality of it is, is that we do have to understand through tax policy that if you are a business owner, which the more than the, the higher 10% are, they're not employees of anybody. Um, you are, you have a lot of, there's a lot of credits and deductions and things like that that you can take on your taxes that lower your tax bill. Um, so, for example, um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of, uh, I'll just say for a lot of people that do have a W-2 and things like that, first of all, we are our taxes are taken directly out of our check when we get them. Um, and so when we fill out our paperwork and it's called an I-9, when we get employed, then we're saying how many people are in our house. And there's all these, these, you know, a short little thing that tells the government how much taxes that from your employment you are required to pay to them. And most of the time that we, we take them, it, it's taken directly out of our check. What happens at the end of the year for those of us who get a refund is we then go in and take credits and deductions for most working <clears throat> working people um, they, they under a, a certain tax break or that are a lot of times that are fortunate enough to be able to get a return. We are getting the earned income tax credit <clears throat> and we're getting... 
Um, if we have children, we have there's a child tax credit. And there may be other circumstances and situations like that, but those are two of the really big, big things for lower income earners that are there. Those two tax credits are then um, offset what is was taken out, for example. And so based on that, most of the time we find ourselves with some level of return. So based on how many children we may have, um, all of that, where because we qualify for those tax credits, it's saying that, oh, well, you know, the government really should give you your, your money back <clears throat> because there are those built-in laws that says you're a lower wage, wage earner. And we rather you spend that money and put it into the economy than for us to take it and put it in our storehouses. Well, effectively, there are those same rules for business owners, but a lot more of them. Not a tax expert and definitely not going through them, but there's a lot more of them. So the game with tech, tax experts, especially for those with to business owners and especially high waged business owners is to say, well, this is how much like there's a formula to which that this is how much in theory you owe. But let's figure out a way in which we make it as low as possible. Like everybody honestly goes and plays that game. So you're not even the, the 10%, but even those of us who are making $200,000 or more or so forth and so on. Like the game always is, let's find a way that you owe less in taxes to the government based on deductions and credits that we can find. So when you go to a tax professional, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for deductions and credits to find so that they can lower your tax expense. So effectively, Trump has a really good lawyer that has figured out how a way to do that for him. And um, that is what we're looking at. And really kind of to no surprise, what might be the surprise is the amount. And like I said, $750 for a multi-billionaire is like, whoa, you know, like that, that is totally ridiculous. That's, I don't think that's, that the surprise is that we're actually looking at a number and most of the time tax liability and what you end up paying at the end of the end of the day is a very personal situation and we are not looking at anybody else's specific number so we don't have anything to compare when we have to pay a dollar versus somebody who has to pay seven hundred fifty dollars we don't we don't have anything to compare compared to that necessarily or if you're a person who is middle income, have a minimal wage and, or, or medium medium level of wealth or whatever, if you pay $750, you know, $750 a month may not seem like, not a month, but a year is actually something that might be reasonable to you to pay. So you paying, earning $400,000 a year and your tax bill is $750, again, that might be reasonable. So once you compare that to this multimillionaire, then it, it kind of definitely seems unfair. Like, well, I don't, that, you know, I live comfortably um, and make a decent amount of money. We found this many things in the tax uh, code that we could write off and do this and whatever. So we got ourselves down to $750. So how in the world can this multi-billionaire, however, um, get himself to $750? And how can he feel as if, how can people who do that feel as if they are paying their fair share into the American economy? And I think that is part of the question, right? Like how can, how can they feel as if they're 
paying their fair share in the in the um, American economy. And so what I also feel like is that when we start having our legislators in Congress and we're talking about tax laws and tax bills and things like that, that are passing and they're talking about who is paying and it's the top 10% and that's unfair to tax them more than the lower 10% and this, that, and the third or whatever. Um, we need to remember that. We need to remember that that's not really a straightforward case that they're making. Um, because again, there are also these, what often is our loopholes is is what they're characterized that that allow them to get around that straightforward bill so i think that's one thing to keep in mind when we're talking about the trump taxes so this is not so that is not to say that he has actually done anything wrong um but we do need to be aware that that's the way that the tax code in general works you know so he's being audited it's up to the auditors to to determine if it's wrong or not, or he was wrong or not, what he did was legal or not, so forth and so on. So right now, I don't think that it is making the case that at all, um, we can't make the case that he did anything wrong or not, but we do need to understand that, that that's the game that, that people play. And um, uh, that's the game with the IRS in general. Now, given that we kind of laid out the game in that sense, what I have found in terms of the AP reporting is who is audited and held accountable for tax manipulation more often. And um, basically what the AP has reported, and this is just as of today, is that lower income people who do often receive the earned income tax credit and um, various child tax credits, et cetera, are 60 or 10 times more, 10 percent, 10 times more likely to be audited than those of higher, who make higher wages and at higher rates. So basically what they're saying is that Based on the IRS auditing power, people like Trump, people in the top 10% are able to employ lawyers and tax advisors to be able to uh, keep the IRS at bay. The fight is more expensive. You know, if if you're audited and you're claimed to um, have owed more money or there there's said to be a mistake in your taxes, you do have the ability to fight that. And um, that fight can take you all the way into court. So, you know, we talk about, again, and many different issues that we commonly think about as far as the cost to the taxpayers and the cost to the to the person, how much, you know, how how much a lawyer may cost to do X, Y, Z. So. The fact of the matter is, is that the people in the higher 10% are able to afford these lawyers and lawyers who can be crafty in their arguments and et cetera, where truthfully, someone like you and I may not in any way feel like they can afford a lawyer at all. So we 
might try to defend ourselves. If you're a me kind of person, I'm the kind of person that would try to at least at least initially defend themselves and their rationale and submit some of the receipts and documentations that I use on my taxes to say that this is why I claim this and so forth and so on. <clears throat> um, but even if you're a me who don't does not feel like she can afford her lawyer, so would feel like she has to defend herself, um, you do know that your chances are slim. You're just doing your very best and then maybe God will, will provide. I mean, I think I operate often on a place where I feel like, you know, God will provide. I just have to go through the motions at least. I can't just sit back and be railroaded um, and know that I did what I could do based on the best information available to me and based on the advice that I was given. So hopefully God will provide. Um, but when you're thinking about that, that's not really a costly fight. Um, I had some situations recently and it weren't, um, it wasn't an error per se. It was like getting, I hadn't, oh, that's what it was. I hadn't filed a tax return. So I missed a refund. And I don't remember why I didn't file it or whatever, but here it is like two years later. I think you have a minimum of three years to file your tax returns and still get a refund. So I was like almost dead at the end of this time for whatever reason. And um, I wanted this money in the moment. In the moment, I was at a place where I felt like I needed the money. And it was a lot of kind of running around just to get that and just to go back and forth with um, the IRS to get what was said to me, I was said to be owed. And when I say I said, you know, I do do most of my taxes and so forth often on my own. So based on the information I have at hand, like this is what I was owed and whatever, but it was, it was somewhat of a difficult process. And I, and when I say difficult, difficult in terms of time and, and, and mind space or whatever to be able to get this. So if ever I was ever audited in any other way, like it, I, it, it would probably just be like, okay, I doubt that I severely think that I will get any of this money back or I'd have to make these arrangements with the IRS or something like that because I can't do anything about it. So that's the whole point. That's, that's, that's the point that the AP is saying right now is that... You know, filing paperwork, you know, responding to accusations and um, things like that. And I wish I could, it's, they're not called accusations, but responding to the audience, like all of that takes time. And so I guess also in some truth, when the, when President Trump says, well, my taxes are being audited and we're like, okay, it's been four years, it's being audited. When is the audit finished? The point is, is that he has the ability to hold these people at bay and continue to do this back and forth, this back and forth, this back and forth, you know, until really, hopefully the, what they're hoping for is the IRS gives up. Um, so that's what they're saying. Um, there is at one point that the New York Times is reported to have said that he got a $73 million refund. I'm going to say, I just want to know where in the heck he got $73 million. Like, how in the world, where in the heck, how did the IRS even decide to cut that check? Like, that would be so unusual. I think it's crazy that I, if I was in the IRS office, I'd be like, okay, wait, stop. 
hold the phone. We can't do this. $73 million. We don't even have computers that print that much money. But anyway, <laughs> um, I just, that that's befuddling to me. So there is a moment where you kind of say, well, who are these lawyers and what do they do to get him this kind of money? Um, but we, but again, we do need to understand that <clears throat> the IRS, um, there's some problematic issues with their auditing power. Um, and the IRS is saying that that is due, due also to their limited auditing power. So they're saying that through, it's been reported that through 2010 and 2019, the IRS has lost 3,100 audit staffers. So people who are paid and people who whose job it is to specifically go through and review the taxes and audits. So just in, in less than 10 years, they've lost 3,000, over 3,000 staffers. Um <clears throat> Again, as I mentioned before, another one of these issues is people in the top 10% do not pay taxes directly. Um, so what that also is saying to us, so again, that there's a difference in terms of telling the IRS. So what we do when taxes are coming directly in our out of our check, what happens is we're telling them like, hey, either I owe this much or I didn't. And so when we get a refund, what happens is we figured out a way through the tax code to say, well, I didn't owe you that money, so you have to give it back to me. Um, however, if you owe taxes, you've already probably at least had some of that money taken out of your check. And then there is more that you need to pay to them directly. If you're a business owner, however, taxes are not taken directly out of your check. And this is any level of business owner. You don't have a check anymore, right? So taxes are not directly taken. So if you're a business owner, what happens is, is you have to declare all the taxes that should have been taken and then some, right? And if you find a way to get away from that, then that also means that it's harder for the IRS to enforce that. Where at least for people who are given like W-2s and are paid through um, a, as an employee, something is coming out from them immediately. And it's easier for them to be able to catch a glitch if they're sending a check back to you. Um, so anyway, so I hope all of this makes sense. Um, this AP article is suggesting that uh, as we move forward into the next Congress, um, that to deal with issues that, or if we take issue with the Trump tax Taxes is that what we really need to do is deal with IRS enforcement in the Congress. Um, so I think that's something that we should be thinking about. Um, it is something that I don't think that we can really hold Trump to task for. Um, unfortunately, I think the his in his arrogance, he has said, you know, well, if the law says so, I've used it. And I think that is true to at least what he is aware of. Um, and so the fact of the matter is, is, is if he is working and navigating through the legal system, then we definitely need to make sure that we are, um, again, correcting those laws. Um, if we know that the, so it has been laid out in this particular article that's reported by the AP that, you know, it is disproportionately poor and people of color who are audited more because it's easy 
So if there is a way, if that is the case and the case is, is it, they need the easy targets and the case is that they need um, to recoup some of their money swiftly um, and part of that institutional racism that needs to be changed is based upon equipping the IRS with the right level of employed staff, then we need to do that. We need to do that. And that is what happens through congressional congressional power and when we our Congress sets its budgets each year and all of the, the money that they parcel out and set aside. So we need to make sure that we're also um, understanding a lot of what's being distributed. Um, so at this point, we are going to wrap up. I'm going to thank everybody to listen for listening. Again, if you have anything that you would like to share, please, please, please reach out to me on the views line at 216-236-4842. That's 216-236-4842. You can email me at views216fcb at gmail. That's views216fcb at gmail. Also, uh, we are something I hadn't mentioned. We are at towards the end of our census collection. Please, please, if you have not filled out the census, please do so. It does just take that's something else that takes a few minutes of your time. You can still do that from the comfort of your home online. Um, there are still, I believe, um, until at least next week, census takers that are coming out door to door. Um, you know, we are in the midst of this pandemic, but they are here because they are at your door because it seemed as if you needed some help or some additional assistance with the census because you did not complete it online, nor did you, um, nor did you send in a paper ballot, a paper census. So please be considerate and kind to them and in a safe manner, go ahead and give them the information. We appreciate you. Thank you for listening to Views. This is Ashley. I'm out. FCB Radio Network, first class broadcasting worldwide. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.